was thinking on the, the message and really didn't have a title. I know I wanted to speak um, with the kind of central theme of it being um, backgrounded, if you would, in unity, because I believe that's what the camp meeting is really all about. And I kind of want everybody in at least Faith Christian Fellowship to know unity is part of being a Christian. And so I'm going to speak this morning of where unity began. And we're going to turn in Ephesians, the second chapter, for a text. So while you're turning, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the Word of God and for the Spirit of God that leads and guides us into all truth. Help us to be what you would have us to be this hour, that, Lord, we could show one another the true faith that lives in our hearts and lives because you live within our spirit. So help us in every way, Lord, to be the church you guided us to be, that we go forward in this world uh, promoting, if you would, the fact that you live in our hearts and lives and we want to do your perfect will till you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start reading in Ephesians, the second chapter. And of course, Rob led right up to this in Sunday school. So if you missed Sunday school, you probably missed uh, the beginning, if you would. But we're going to hit it and not really dwell on it like Rob did in Sunday school. But in verse 11, it says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now we're going to talk about where new unity began, if you would. And unity began when we got saved. Amen. I just want to tell you that up front. Keep that in mind as we speak through this. But in verse 11, uh, notice that Paul uses one of our four study words to start that. Isn't that nice of him to do that for us? He uses the word wherefore. That means based on what I just said, here's what we need to see and understand. And he's speaking basically about salvation, how you got saved. And of course, you can go up to our, if you would, some of my cornerstone scriptures in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Brother Rob spoke about it in Sunday school a little bit. He says there that, uh, uh, so what we see is, is Paul 
uh, just had said, basically, true salvation is of God. Amen? Now, I realize a lot of people think they can work their way into heaven. A lot of people think if they do enough good things, they'll get to go to heaven. But the scriptures teach us that salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works. Those three steps are a part of your salvation. And Paul not only tells us what it is, he tells us what it is not. So then Paul finishes that formula and says, it's not of yourselves, uh, because it's a gift of God, and it's not boasting criteria for you or anyone else to brag on how good you are and how God just has to have you in heaven one of these days. Isn't that something? Salvation is worth boasting about. But not that it was built on you. It's worth boasting about because it was built on Christ and what he did for you on the cross of Calvary, what the Holy Spirit did in convicting you of your condition you was in, and what God gave you as a gift. Amen? For anyone to go from sinner, which is someone that's separated from the unity of God, into a right relationship or unity with God, it involves a complete trinity of God. Christ on the cross, the Holy Spirit calling you, and God working the grace he wants you to have. The trinity is within these scriptures that I read a couple of times. So we need to make sure, even though some of us believe the trinity, when we're cornered by someone that doesn't believe it, we don't know where to turn to say, oh, here's what the Bible says about it. I'm going to give you a couple different places in this particular uh, portion of scripture to prove to them the trinity does exist and they work in perfect harmony in your salvation. Amen? Remember, Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit convicted you of that. And God gave you his grace through faith that you could enjoy the salvation he has for you. That's how the Trinity worked in your salvation. So when Paul says in verse 11, wherefore remember. Now I don't know about you, but uh, the more numbers I put in my birthdays, the older I get, the memory just doesn't seem to be quite as crisp and sharp as it used to be. You know, we spent uh, about 45 minutes one day, one of the evenings when Bert was down here because she couldn't find her car keys. Her car was in the driveway, which it couldn't have got there without the keys. Right? Her, her car was locked, which couldn't have happened if the keys were inside the car. So that eliminates that. But now she's backtracking everywhere she went all day long since she parked that car there. On and on and on. And they had fallen, I guess, out of her pocket, hand, or wherever, from around her neck where they should be. But they had fallen in the back seat of our car and she didn't know that they were in there. Well, finally we found them. But sometimes our memory 
just gets a little bit foggy when we think on some things. But one thing I want you to always remember, and Paul says, wherefore remember, you're saved. Why? Because of the grace of God and because of the faith you put in Christ and accepted him as your personal savior. Don't forget where you came from. Because I want you to know where you came from and that transition you made is where unity began in your life. Can I tell you something? Sinners usually don't think too much of other people. For the most part, a sinner is a pretty selfish person. A sinner is pretty much, it's me and only me. But when you become a Christian, that's one of the things that I think I notice or look for in someone that says, I just got saved. Well, I want to look in their life and see the motivations they have for some of the things they do. Are they self-motivated or is God motivating them to do his will in their lives? Those are the things we need to look for and keep it in our memory banks as to where we came from before that salvation process took place in our life. Now, I'm just going to assume here, and I, you know, maybe that's maybe not the right thing to do, and I know my boss always chewed me out for assuming things on, on the job that I was supposed to be doing this. I just assumed that was the right thing to do. And of course, if that didn't agree with him, I had to hear about it. But I'm going to just assume that everybody here is a Christian. Now, if you're not, just listen and just understand that the things I'm talking about could be yours even if they're not now. Because Christ came and died for whosoever will. Amen. For many of us in our memory bank of when we got saved, it's a long time ago. Amen. Many weeks, many months, many years, and some of us even many decades. I think next month around the 24th or 5th, uh, I got to look back on the day, will be my 46th complete year from when I got saved. 46 years, Rob. Man, I'm getting old. That's hard on the old memory bank to crank that out. 46 years. Now some of you may have been longer, and some of you maybe not as long. Some of you may not even be 46 years old. I don't know. But nonetheless, we need to make sure that we keep in memory what took place when we got saved. Amen? I believe no one should ever experience that life-changing action. They talk all the time about where was you on 9-11? Where was you when we got bombed in Pearl Harbor? The people that were alive and had any consciousness about them in their life at all in those dates and times, don't forget those things. And maybe other things that were relevant to you in your life or time, who knows what? The day you became MVP of the Super Bowl. You'll never forget that day. Amen. Now, we're not going to probably achieve that, but those are goals or life-altering things in a person's life they never forget. Salvation in a Christian's life should be number one. Now, you may not, you may not even really been in tune with, if you would, 70 years from now, I'm going to look back at this date, so I need to mark it down. And when I got saved, I wasn't even worried what day of the week it was, you know, what hour it was or where and all that. I know all that now that I think back on it. 
but you, for the most part, that really didn't bother me all that much when it happened. So, and I'm not so sure that it makes any difference when it happened as long as it happened. Amen? So, when you get saved, you went from darkness to light. That change should be something that you can remember for a while. You went from lost to being found. Some of you can probably remember when you were lost one time and how you felt at that point and maybe you was just lost because you were separated from the group you were supposed to be with. But when you found them, what a relief. Well, salvation should have been that way. And then we looked at scripture terms where he said you was dead and now you're alive. I just wonder if I could speak to Lazarus today, if he remembers where he was, what day it was, what time it was when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. I'll bet you he can tell you probably almost to the minute how it felt, what he went through when he went from being dead and in a tomb for four days and probably even stinking. And even if he wasn't rotten, he was probably stinking from not having a shower for four days, right? Amen. Bonnie gets after me if I go more than eight or ten days. But nonetheless, nonetheless, he went from dead to alive. That's a transition you shouldn't forget very easily. I remember in my case, I went from hopeless to hopeful. I remember the transition because hope took root in my life at that time. Before then, I had nothing to hope for. Amen. I was just a crazy old dirt bag wandering around this world wondering where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. Just a pile of dirt that God had created and put on this earth to cause everybody else problems. But I went from hopeless to hopeful when I got saved. I went from being a sinner to a saint. Now a lot of people say, oh, you're no saint. Well, that's because they're looking at it in the flesh. But in the spirit, when I'm without sin, that's a saint. A saint is the same thing, the same word that means saint in the scripture means holy or sanctified. They come from the same word in scripture. So if you're holy, if you're sanctified in what God's will wants for you in your life, chalk it down, you're a saint. Amen. It's not something I like to brag about because people in this world don't understand what a real saint is and they have it blown up in their mind. It's somebody that floats on clouds and plunks a harp and never makes a mistake and everything in their life just lines up perfect and they always have cupcakes for breakfast and they, everything works out wonderful. Well, that's not really what a saint is. A saint is someone that's dedicated to the life that God has for them and lives it in a righteous manner. Amen? And then I went from doing my own will to striving as best I could to figure out and follow God's will. Sometimes that's a little foggy. And sometimes we have to find out what God's will is by our hindsight rather than our foresight. In a lot of cases, I can tell you that was true for me. A lot of things I had to do to see what the results was, to see if that's what God really wanted me to do or not. And when I did it, and I said, oh, no, God don't want me going that way. I had to back up, start over, and go the other way. That's how you can learn sometimes is by doing things that God wants you to do. 
Amen. Either way, it should have been such a life-changing moment in time that you went from the old way to where all things now became new. Amen? That was good. I like the part where Rob read in the scripture, and he said that this is the earnest. He read it out of 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. This is the earnest of our salvation he was talking about. You know when you get saved? That's earnest. Now that doesn't mean you should be earnest in what you do in salvation. It means earnest as being sincere. That's the way we would use the word earnest. The word earnest in scripture means that's your down payment. That's your dowry in the wedding that you're going to have with Christ. God gives you a down payment so you'll have the spirit in your life so you can walk in, in that earnest or that down payment with God and he'll show you the light you need to have in your life. Amen. For me, for me I'm, I'm getting close to my 46th year, but I still remember. Amen. Of course, Bonnie wasn't in my life then, but that's okay. She came along later, and that was my earnest. How about that? Amen. But in this letter that Paul's writing to the Ephesians here, it could have been uh, not very long ago for some of those people that he's writing this to that they just had gotten saved. Nobody in this Ephesian letter-receiving church had been saved for more than 30 years. Because this letter was written at about A.D. 60, and Christ died in the A.D. 30s. So it hadn't even been 30 years since Christ went to the cross that he's writing this to them. Don't forget. Remember. And so a lot of those things that they're going through here or understanding about the beginning of their unity hasn't been part of their life much more than at the most 30 years and here I'm celebrating 46, but I don't want to forget. Amen. So when Paul writes unto them and says, remember ye, that means all of you, in the time past you were Gentiles. Hmm. I wonder why he called them Gentiles in the flesh. Well, you then, back in the first century, you was either a Jew or a Gentile. You was either part of God's people, if you would, as the way the world and society looked at it then. You was either a Jew, God's people, or he's a Gentile, not God's people. That made it pretty simple, don't it? Boy, have we complicated that in the last 2,000 years. Hey, Amen. We don't know who's who and where they go and what they're doing and, and whatever. Amen. But here he said in those times, in the first century, it was either Jew or Gentile, and the difference was if you were circumcised or not. That's what he's talking about. The Jews bragged about being circumcised and keeping the covenant that God made with Abraham. Amen. Can I tell you something? Circumcision's a work. He said it's circumcision by hands of man. Amen. Now what did you read in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Not of man. Not of works. Amen. Because that's just bragging stuff. Amen. So whether you're baptized or not, that's a work. Amen. You know you can get saved without being baptized? Now, it's, it's your obedience to the word of God that you get baptized soon after as you can as a witness for Christ. But when you're initially saved, whether you're, you're circumcised in the flesh or not has nothing to do with it any longer. Amen. That time passed 30 years ago, Paul's telling them. 
you guys quit dragging that old thing around and quit leaning on it as a crutch for your salvation. Amen? All right, so what we need to see is he sums it up then in verse number 12. That at that time, ye were without Christ. When's that? Before you got saved. When you were still worrying about whether you circumcised or not. Amen. You were without Christ. And what? You was not part of the commonwealth of Israel. All right. Now, to that first century church, what was the commonwealth of Israel? Well, that's Israel as you would as a nation or Jew. Amen. In their day and time, you could be a Gentile and convert and become a Jew. Did you know that? You had to be circumcised. You had to remember the Sabbath day, you know, and all the and go through all the Passover and all the Pentecosts and all all the tabernacles and all that, uh, and be a good little boy, and they would accept you as a Jew. Well, man can accept you all you want, but if your heart's not right with God, you're just spinning your wheels. Amen. Amen. We saw when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a difference. Amen. So if you're working on all that, and of course we need to know what they considered the commonwealth of Israel was God's people, if you were part of God's people. Well, we need to know as you're walking in your own will and your own ways, some of the Jews may have been influenced by the Old Testament and Jewish traditions, but the non-Jews, they were just out there paddling their own canoe, going their own direction, whatever they desired. Nonetheless... Now that Christ has been established by God and, our sin, and for our sin sacrifice for the entire human race, everyone must go to ground zero, if you would, and become a part of the commonwealth of Israel. We call it the church. We call it spiritual Israel. In Romans 2, 8 and 9, let me just read that really quick. It's right here in not very far away. Paul is telling the Roman church at the beginning, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Right? Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew or of the commonwealth of Israel which is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart and in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Did you catch all that? That's what Paul is saying. If you're a heathen, that's your business. If you're a Jew, literally, you have the letter and you have the circumcision to prove it, hallelujah. But none of that mounts to a hill of beans in your soul if you haven't had Jesus Christ wash the sin out of your life. Amen? Now, 2,000 years later, it's still the same. You still need Jesus Christ in your life for your salvation. Until you receive the gift of grace of God, you're still not the spiritual Jew. God desires to establish a relationship of salvation with in an individual daily walk with him. That's what God desires to have in your life. 
Until you have that relationship as a reality, you're still an alien. Amen. Boy, I get wound up when I watch those aliens on TV. Man, oh man. They just stomp through towns and knock over buildings and eat up people. And man, they cause all kinds of destruction. And they try to shoot them and, and it doesn't even phase them. Well, that's not the kind of alien God's talking about. He's just saying you're on the wrong side of salvation. You need to get on the right side. You're a stranger and you have no hope and you're without God in this world if you're not on the same path with God. Now... If you are without God in this world, what does that say about your chances of having a place in heaven with God in the next world? If you don't want nothing to do with God in this world, and then you get to the next one and say, Oh God, you're my favorite. I'd just love to spend eternity with you. Huh. He's probably going to say, Well, remember... What Paul said in verse 11, well, remember, amen. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 11, I thought I got it right. And so here he says, we need to make sure if we want to live with God in our next world, we need to get it straightened out in this world. In verse 13 he says, but, that's another study word, on the other hand, now in Christ Jesus, all of you who were sometimes afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. As alienated as you were, the blood of Christ can pull you right up to the front row. Isn't that cool? As hopeless as you were in the world, the blood of Christ can give you hope. He can make it to where you need to be uh, if you want to be where God wants you to be. Even for those who were afar off, the scripture says. In other words, no matter how bad a sinner you was, don't make any difference. The same blood has the power to clean up, if you would, the worst sinner or the one that wasn't, if you would, the worst sinner. You see, we in the human, we kind of grade how bad a sin is on what it consequences or however you want to look at it. Uh, there are certain things that we think are worse than others, even in our society. There are some things that the police officers say, don't do that no more. You know? And there are some things, he's going to arrest you and cuff you and take you away, and you're going to be cited with a felony, and it's going to change you for the rest of your life, even in this world, even if you get saved. Isn't that something? You know you can do things so bad that you can even get saved, and people in this world won't forgive you for it. Huh, how about that? Now Christ will forgive you. And no matter how bad a sinner you was, you can still have hope in Christ. Amen? No matter how good a person you were morally when you got saved, without Christ, you're still on the outs with God. Until by faith, you receive God's gift of grace. Verse 14 says, For... That's another study word. It means because, because he is our peace. That peace comes only after the grace of God has been applied to your life. And here's the key component in salvation. Who hath made both one. Did you know that? He made both one. That means unity. Unity. 
That phrase absolutely describes unity. When he makes both one, unity is the core of that thought. Unity with God and unity with uh, peace and unity with love and unity with grace applied and unity with spirit-filled saints of God is what happens when you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And it says that Christ broke down the middle wall of partition. Huh. That wall was anything that spiritually separated you from God. Amen. Now, a lot of people say, well, murder's bad, and that'll separate you from God. But there's a lot of us haven't ever committed murder. Some of us may have. I don't know. I don't want to see no hands. But I'm just telling you, there are some people that grade them on that scale. Some people would steal. Oh, no, they can't go to heaven if they're a thief. Well, they can get saved from being a thief and get their heart back in line with God and quit being a thief and being what God wants them to be. How's that happen? It has to take a breaking down of the middle wall between you and God. And no matter what label you want to put on it, it's all sin. Amen. We know in the scripture that it says, and the sin that so easily besets us. It doesn't say sins. It's not a matter of how many scores you made in the sin column as to whether you can make it to heaven or not. It's as a matter of how many uh, sins Christ wiped away in your life to make you uh, ready for heaven. So when Christ broke down that middle wall partition, everything starts moving in the right direction for you in your hope of having peace between you and your creator. Amen? That's called salvation. Amen. Verse 15 says, And having abolished in his flesh. What do you abolish in his flesh? Our sin's sacrifice became what his job was. And he says that it there, and I, let me just read it. Having abolished in the flesh the enmity. What is enmity? That's not a word we use a whole lot. As a matter of fact, it's not even in the scriptures all that many times. Probably only maybe eight, ten. I didn't count them, but I did look it up in the concordance because I want to know exactly what it means because I want to tell you this morning what it means to have enmity with God. Now, so what is enmity? When Paul writes it, and then he writes it again in verse 16, so we need to know exactly what it is. According to Strong's Concordance, it means hostility towards. You know, when you're a sinner, you're expressing hostility towards God. It means you have a reason of opposition. In your mind, you think opposing God is the right thing to do when you're a heathen, a sinner, or someone outside the ark of salvation. You actually can justify in your own mind why you shouldn't be a Christian. Amen. I have people tell me, and Brother Rob spoke of one in his Sunday school class, that gave it a definite reason why he didn't want to be a Christian. Can I tell you? That's enmity. He has a reason of opposition against God. And another uh, description of that comes down to hatred. You know, God's love. 
Did you know the Bible said God is love? Sure he does. Yeah. And you got hatred towards God, you and God can't be on the same page. Amen. That has to be enmity. You're going one way and God's going another. How can you have fellowship doing that? Amen. You can't even do that with a brother in this world, let alone with the eternal heavenly Father that wants to draw you up close to his side and help you in every way he can. You know, in James 4 and 4, I'm not going to turn there. Mike's probably got, he'll put it up there. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Amen. That's what it is. Does that make sense? So if you love the world, what are you to God? Enmity. You're in opposition. You have hatred or hostility towards God. So let's look at it this way. You can't love the world and love God at the same time because they are at odds with each other. Amen? Personally, I'd rather have peace with God in my spirit than have the applause of men day in and day out because that fades away. That goes away. And it's only temporary. I'd rather have the peace of God which is my earnest in my salvation, my down payment, that peace that God will give me, it's what I can rely on throughout all the trials and tests that come my way. So when Paul says that Christ has abolished in his flesh the enmity in verse 15, that just says that Christ did away with anything that was opposed to God in his life, and if it's in your life, he will take it away if you do it his way. Amen? In doing so, he made of two one new man. Amen? That repeats what he said in verse 14. He hath made both one. What is that? That's a reconciliation. You and God can now walk hand in hand. You used to be two, but through Christ, now you're one. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you're a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things are become new. Amen. Verse 16 says that he might reconcile both unto God. Now about that stuff. Reconcile means you take two that are opposites, bring them together, and they work together in harmony. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Two things that are apart, now they become together as one. It's an agreement with an enemy. That's what we would think of in our lifetime. If you had an enemy and everything you did, he was against you. He fought against you in every aspect. And then he saw the light. And he come around to see it like you or vice versa. You saw the light and started agreeing with him. Guess what would happen? You two would be reconciled together. That's what reconciliation is. It's an agreement with an enemy to settle your differences and to admit you was wrong and agree to walk in the proper way with unity in the one that gave you that truth. Once you've been reconciled, he says there in that particular verse, and thereby given us the peace we wanted in verse 15. That's what he did when he broke down that wall. He gave us the peace that we needed to walk with him. Now since Christ went to the cross willingly for you and for me for the sacrifice of our sin 
Now, reconciliation is possible between you and me and God. Because God tried to reach down and help us, and we snubbed him, walked away from him. We were enmity against him, and somebody had to come in and make up the difference. That's, if you would, in the negotiations of things in our world we call a mediator. In the scriptures, who's our mediator? You got it, Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. He's the one that reconciled the problems we had with God and figured out a way of making us right with God. How did that have to happen? The sin had to be removed. The objections had to be removed. The opposition had to go. The hostility had to go. And when he did that, the enmity and all the things that went with that were gone. And then we had a pathway to God and to peace. Verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. You know, that was part of his ministry when he was here on earth, to preach peace to us. Amen. It was not only that he was to do that for those folks in the first century who were at enmity with God or who were separated from God to bring them back to God, but what about us? Same is true. Amen. Both to those that desired to have a relationship with God and were close and those that were, were not even entertaining the idea of salvation were far off, God's message is still the same. Amen. And kind of, I told you in the beginning, I'm going to preach this message as though all of you are saved, living to the best of your ability for God. And if you're not, guess what? You're going to learn by what we say for Christians that if you're not a Christian, you'll see you're missing out on something. You need to step up and get your share. Amen. God has something for you also. Amen. So those that are close and those that are far away, the same message will reach them because it's the truth. Without Christ, there is no unity with God and there is no salvation for your life or no peace within your soul to guide you in the things God wants you to do. He says in verse 18, he starts again with four, and it means because... Because through Christ, we have access by one spirit to the Father. Again, this scripture is a scripture of Trinity. Notice that there. It's through Christ, then the spirit, and then to God. All three of them working together in your salvation to get you um, what you need in this particular part of your life to guide you into the unity you need with God. The Trinity's in full display in that one verse. So with the, tr the Trinity working in our relationship, in our lives, we can move forward in the work God has for us in this world. Amen. Now I want you to know, there is no work that can gain you salvation. But that's not where works stop. Because that's where work begins. Amen. The scripture teaches us our works and our deeds God's going to judge us by. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you become a, a goo and your mind just disappears. You don't have to think no more. You don't have to do nothing. That's not the way it works. There is things that you need to do to maintain 
your salvation and to prove to God you were sincere and you were deserving of the grace of that gift that God gave you through faith. Amen? Just because you got saved 20 years ago doesn't mean you can coast for 20 years. It means you got things to do to show God you wanted it so bad that you're not going to be at enmity with God. You want to be his friend and walk in his will even though for years you walked contrary to his will. Well, what does his will really consist of if you want to look at it that way? So what we need to be is united and called the church. Witnessing and working in the kingdom of God. Amen. Why do we have kids camp? That's an outreach. That's a work. It's a lot of work. And you want to know why so many people run from it? It's work. Amen. Amen. We're fine. Oh, that's, I, you, I just stepped on it. You know what? We can't go to a restaurant anymore and find it open that's got too much work going on inside it. I want, Bonnie sent me to Kentucky Fried Chicken one night this week. Her and Bert was up the nursing home. They had wore out. We hadn't had any supper. And I was at home sleeping in the marshmallows. You know, I don't have nothing to do either. I was at home. She called me and said, we don't have time to get cleaned up and go out. Just go up to KFC through the drive-thru, get a bucket of chicken and all the other stuff. Goes with it. And that's what we'll have for dinner. I pulled up in the drive-thru. There's a big sign there that says closed. And there's two girls. Uh, I call them girls. They're younger than me, but I mean, there were adult girls sitting on the sidewalk there beside each other smoking cigarette together. And I thought, well, Nate hollered out when I rolled my window down and said, we're closed. Oh, run out of chicken? No. None of the workers showed up for work. So we can't get nobody to come to work. Huh. They think because they can stay home and draw unemployment and get, they can make more doing that than working. Huh. I'll just stay home. Sit on the couch, eat bonbons, and listen to Oprah. Amen. Let the government send me a check. Amen. There's no glory in that. You want to have some appreciation for what you do, something that you earned, if you would, accomplishment in your life? Go to work. Amen. Ah, if you can't work, I understand that. And the government does too. But that, this is ridiculous that we've got people sitting at home that could be working, and because they're making more money not working, I, in a way, I don't blame them, except for the fact that I know God wouldn't be satisfied with if I did that. If I could take care of myself, I believe God would want me to do that. If I could take care of my family, I think God would want me to do that, rather than just sit back and let the government send me a check. Well, I didn't mean to get off on that bandwagon, but I think there are governors in our states now that have cut off welfare and said, you either go to work or you're not even getting the welfare. So don't come crying to us, basically. Because they just don't want to do what is so. Well, in salvation, you know what? God's saying, I got work for you to do. I've got a witness I want you to be. I've got challenges for you that's going to let your light shine in this world so that others may know the peace and the hope that I put in your heart so they too will want to have that same peace and hope 
in their lives. Amen. Let me read real quick just through the end of this chapter. Verse 19, now therefore ye are uh, no more. You're, since you're saved, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. And that would be the commonwealth of Israel he was talking about. And, and then he says, um, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, prophet, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In other words, it all started with him. And then the apostles built on that chief cornerstone. Now it's your and my job to build even on that to make the, the building, if you would, look attractive to the world around us, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy, that's word, holy, that means same as saint, holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. When you get saved, your heart becomes a place for God to live in you through his spirit. That's what Paul was telling them people. Amen. You don't need to be in opposition to God. You don't even need to be selfish. You don't even need to be hopeless. You don't even need to be lost. What you need to be is what God wants you to be in his kingdom in building the church. Now when we talk about the church, he wants us to be the church in this world. And he's not just talking about Mason, Ohio. The church he's talking about covers the whole world, and it's whosoever will comes to Jesus with salvation. Amen? And we need to build in our lives from the chief cornerstone right on up the examples as to how firm this foundation the apostles were in the examples they were to us. See, Jesus is our ultimate example. He's the chief cornerstone. The apostles became examples, and we need to follow in their footsteps. That's why we read the letters that they wrote. And then we ourselves need to take our turn at being examples and walking in the salvation God has given us because there are generations coming in behind us that need to know how good God can be to them. Amen. Let's be the building of God's spirit that God's spirit wants us to be and be the habitation of God for the world to take notice of the unity and peace that he's given us in the package deal called grace and salvation. Amen? One of the reasons I enjoy camp meeting is that I get to express unity with brothers I otherwise would not have contact with, especially on a Sunday. I'm thankful when I get to go to a minister's meeting and spend time with those that are, if you would, going through some of the same struggles we go through here in Mason. And we can share together how God's helped them and I can share with them how God's helped us and it's an encouragement to them. You don't know how many of those brothers I see their eyes light up when I tell them what God's done for us, our small, if you would, small congregation as far as numbers is concerned. They may be small in numbers, but your witness reaches a lot farther than you might think. Amen. But we want to put on display in a greater way the hope and the peace and the joy that's in our lives as to what we're doing for God in this area of the world and not just thinking that the kingdom of God is just a group of people somewhere. 
The kingdom of God is much bigger than what happens inside this building. The kingdom of God is all around us, and we need to take uh, note of it. There may even be people that you'll lead to the Lord. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? You witness to somebody, he got saved? Wouldn't that be awesome? He may never step foot in this building. But that has nothing to do with whether he's a saint and a part of the kingdom of God or not. Amen? We'd like for him to come in. I had a, had a problem, uh, a promise from uh, a guy a week before that said he was coming. And I was telling everybody, man, look forward for this guy. He's excited. He's coming to church. Boy, he called me again this week. I'm sorry I missed. But I promise I'll be... I don't, one of these days he may come. I don't know. But until then, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing that I believe God wants me to do to be part of the church that he's called me to be a part of. I'm going to do the will of God as best I know how if the man never shows up. I don't know. He may have been trying to pull in the parking lot and had a car wreck and they had to take him to the hospital. I don't know. I don't know where he's at. I don't see him. But he promised to be here. Amen. We can't live on promises of others. What are we going to live on? The peace and grace that we got through Christ, through faith, and that will guide us on into the things that God wants us to be. Amen. So when we got saved, unity began. God's grace is big. It reaches far. Our job is to help spread that grace by demonstrating the unity in the, spirit, in the Spirit wherever we are or with ever, whoever we meet. It's not bragging if you can back it up, they say. Amen. So to say you're a saint, don't feel bad about that, telling somebody you're a saint. They'll look at you like you're crazy, but if you back it up with a life, what are they going to say about it then? Amen? So we need to make sure we're not in the salvation walk, if you would, with God for bragging rights because Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's not that any man should boast. It's that everyone should live what God wants them to live. Amen? So don't brag about it. Just live out the peace God has afforded us in this life. And in the end, we have hope of eternal life in heaven with him again. Amen. Let us stand.